Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 5. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Question. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? In the book, The Day America Told the Truth, the authors, James Patterson and Peter Kim, they reveal some shocking statistics about how people in this country and what they're willing to do for $10 million. Listen at this. Some people said for $10 million that they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. Some people said they would abandon their church. Some people said for $10 million that they would become a prostitute for a week or more. 16% said they would give up their American citizenship. 16% also said they would leave their spouses for $10 million. 10% said they would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free. 7% of the people said that they would kill a stranger for $10 million. 3% said they would put their children up for adoption for $10 million. Some of y'all thinking, well, it's just kids. I mean, I mean, what's the big... I'll put them up and buy them back. I mean, (laughs) or let us, my people, take take it one step further. (laughs) What would you be willing to do to find cancer, find a cure for cancer? Or what would you be willing to do for world peace or to end world hunger? Well, here's a biggie. What would you be willing to do to see a friend be saved? What would you be willing to do? You know, somebody once said, desperate times, what? Call for desperate measures. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about this guy who had this incurable disease of leprosy. And uh, today we come to another incurable sickness. This is a man with Paralysis. He is paralyzed. And we're going to see four faithful friends who are willing to do anything that it takes to see their friend be healed. Of course, I titled my sermon, you guessed it, Four Faithful Friends. Wasn't that clever? Four Faithful Friends. Luke chapter 5. I better turn there myself. I keep doing that. Luke chapter 5, we pick up in verse 17, saints. Luke chapter 5 and verse 17 is where we pick up. If you're looking at it, say amen. Amen. And now it happened 
on a certain day, as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And note this, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and they let him down with his bed through the tilings in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their face, when Jesus saw their face, he said to the man, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk. But that you might know, in verse 24, pay attention, but that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately what happened, saints? He rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And when they were all amazed, they all glorified God and they were all filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. If you've been with us, you know that so far in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been baptized. He's gone through 40 days of temptation. He's been rejected in his own hometown. Peter, James, and John have become fishers of men. Last week we talked about Jesus healed the leper and told him not to tell anybody. And of course, you know, he told everybody. And the crowds of people were pressing around. Well, here in verse 17, Things are no different because the crowds of people are still pressing around from all over the Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Now, there is a Jewish historian. Listen to me close. He is not a Christian. He is a Jewish historian. And his name is, anybody know? Josephus. Very good. Josephus has pinpoint accuracy recorded Jewish history. So you will hear many Bible teachers quoting uh, Josephus, uh, not because he's a Christian, but because of his historical record. And it is historical record of the Jewish history. And it is uh, Josephus who tells us that at this time of, the ri- of, the, of this writing in Luke 5, that there were over 200 towns in the area of Galilee with a population of over 10,000 people. So we're talking about a big crowd. And these crowds are gathering because the Logos, the word of God, is spreading. Now, there's not, there's, there's, the crowds are gathering, but there's something different about this crowd. There's always been crowds around Jesus. But there's something different about this crowd because of who is there. Instead of everyone wanting to be healed, there are Pharisees there. There are doctors of the law who weren't wanting to be healed, who weren't waiting to be healed. They were waiting for Jesus to slip up and to do something to break the law. 
Now, we need to understand something about the Pharisees, in case you don't know. The Pharisees, are you listening, were dedicated men whose lives were dedicated to keeping the laws of Moses. The Pharisees, or the word Pharisee, comes from a Hebrew word. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It comes from a Hebrew word, which means to divide. It means to separate. The Pharisees were separated unto God. They probably developed out of the ministry of Ezra, the priest who taught the people to obey the laws of Moses. And they were extremely accurate in all manners of the law. They tithed from their income. They fasted twice a week. They prayed three times a day. So we see them now gathered as Jesus is teaching, ready to catch Jesus in breaking the law. But it's interesting in verse 17, go ahead and peek at it again, if you will. In verse 17, it tells us that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. In your Bibles, you will notice that the word present, are you looking at it? The word presence is in italics, which means it wasn't in the original text. It was added there for easy read, so it would better read, the power of the Lord was to heal them. Now, tell me you know this. Wherever you find Jesus, listen close, wherever you find Jesus, you will find his power. Is that true? Wherever you find Jesus, you're going to find his power. And it's interesting because the power was there, but no one was being healed. Why? Well, maybe because there wasn't any sick in the house. And maybe Jesus couldn't or didn't heal because they didn't believe he could. And maybe they didn't ask. And that's why Jesus didn't heal. We don't know. But what we do know is the power was there to heal. And anyone and everyone who was sitting in his presence, was that power was available to them. So at this time, get the scene here. Jesus is sitting in the house. Many believe, as a matter of fact, most scholars believe that Jesus is sitting in the house of Peter. Peter's house is located in Capernaum. So Jesus is in Capernaum in Peter's house. And while Jesus is teaching, some men, you got it from the story, some men bring a paralyzed man and they want to lay him before Jesus. But when they got there, the house was packed. There wasn't even standing room. Actually, in the Greek language, in the Greek text, it indicates it was so crowded, people were bulging out the doors. It was so crowded that people couldn't even stick their head near a window to see. So these men come with this man. They're carrying him on a cot, a stretcher. They get close to the house. Are you with me? They get close to the house. They see that it is packed. There's no way to even get close. I find it interesting, perhaps you do too, that they didn't see the house crowded and decide, you know what? Hey, we're not going to get you to Jesus today. Sorry, bud. We're going to have to come back. They didn't get to the house and make excuses. They didn't get to the house and say, you know what? There's no way to get you in there. There's no way it's too crowded. We'll just have to come back later. There's too many people. The Bible says that they climbed the roof and they got up to the roof. You know, there are some people who are bothered when church is crowded. Do you know that? Is that not like the most unthinkable thing in the world? 
Some people, when they come to church, if church is too crowded, they want to go. They say, you know what? They drive up. Too many cars in the parking lot? Hey, you know what? There's too, oh, that church is packed in there. There's too many cars in the parking lot. We might as well go to IHOP. <laughs> We're going to go get us some pancakes. I mean, it's too crowded at church. People have come in church, and people get upset when church is crowded. To me, listen, I love it when church is crowded. Church should be crowded every week. Somebody, somebody say amen, please. Clap your hands, say amen, raise the roof, do something. Church should be crowded. Church should always be crowded. But it's really interesting. People come to church and they get upset when church is crowded because they can't get a seat or get what they think is their seat. You know, I'm not talking to anybody here. I know that. Okay, I'm just, just chatting. Some folks think that's my seat. And you sit in my seat. I tell people all the time, we do not save seats. We save souls. Okay, folks want to get in and put their purse on the seat. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I go, look, you get to church, somebody's purse on a seat. To me, that just means somebody's purse on a seat. I need to move it over because that's where I want to sit. Oh, some of y'all say, oh, no, he didn't. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. People get upset when church is crowded, but it's interesting to me that, that when people go to other places and it's crowded, they think that's a great thing. Now, again, I know I'm not talking to anybody here, but just for the sake of conversation, when some people go to the nightclub and it's crowded, they'd be like, oh, the club is popping. <laughs> I know I'm not talking to you. Y'all holy, I know. Y'all holy folk. Nobody here, but I'm talking about them. Them. When they go to church and they go to the club at night and it's crowded, oh yeah, the club is crowded, oh yeah. You go to a movie, I've seen people go to a movie and so have you. A new movie's coming out, people get in line and they wait. Some people wait for days. I remember one time a Star Trek movie came out. People were in line for like two days. Waiting in line, no problem. I took Pastor Kerry, I was telling him in the last service. I took Pastor Kerry and for to Philly. And when you go to Philly, you got to have a cheesesteak. And if you don't have a cheesesteak, that is evil. It's sin. You go to Philly, you don't have a cheesesteak, you've just committed a sin before the living God. So I took them down downtown, down South Street, some of y'all know, and uh, down South Street, and, and there's this one place they make cheesesteaks, they make really good cheesesteaks, and obviously because there was a line of people, and the line was going back down the street, I mean, there was probably 75, 100 people waiting in line, and to get a cheesesteak, they're going to wait there 45 minutes to an hour just to get one. People will wait in line, people will go to places, and if it's crowded, that's a good thing, but when people come to church and it's crowded, that's a bad thing. Why is that? When church is the best place to be, listen, sometimes, all the time, church is the best place to be, but sometimes the hardest place to get. Isn't that true? You know, Sunday morning, I don't know about y'all, but intense spiritual warfare on Sunday morning. I'm talking intense. I mean, everything that's going to happen is going to happen before 7, because I come to church at 7. It's going to happen before 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. Intense spiritual warfare, anything and everything. Satan's doing everything and anything to keep you out of church. And how many people have sent me an email at the end of a Sunday and they have said, Pastor Rodney, today was a really difficult day and I almost didn't come to church. And I got to be honest, I didn't want to come to church, but I was so glad I went to church. And God really spoke to me when I went to church. 
the best place to be, but the hardest place to get. People get upset when church is crowded. And yet church is crowded whenever there's a problem, especially in our country. Anybody remember 9-11? Hmm. Y'all come to church on 9-11? I bet you came to church and the door was bulging out with people. There were so many people here. The Sunday after 9-11, people were here crying out to God, praising the Lord. Church was full, all out in the hallways. I even called the pastor. I said, hey, was your church packed today? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, okay, well, let's see how it happens next Sunday. <laughs> next Sunday came around calling, hey, was church packed today? Well, a little bit less, ours too. Call him back the next Sunday, church packed today? Well, a little less than the last Sunday, ours too. Interesting, when there's a catastrophe in the world or something really bad happens, people come to church. Listen, you need to always come to church. Church is the place you need to be. And you don't come to church. I'm not talking about coming to church for the sake of coming to church. I'm talking about coming to church because the Bible says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's wonderful. You come to church. I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. I'm going to wait. You come to church. Why? You come to church, listen, because there's fellowship for you at church. There's like-minded people for you at church. That's like you go to other places because there are people like you there. You come to church because there's fellowship for you here. And there's blessings for you here. And God will always speak to you. And when Satan is real, look, you know you're supposed to be at church when the spiritual warfare is more intense that day. That's when you know you need to go. I don't care if you need to crawl here. Somebody say amen. I don't care if you need to crawl. Roll, drop and roll. I don't care what you need to do. You need to get in the house of the Lord. Is that all right? I'm your pastor. I'm just trying to help you. You need to get in the house of the Lord, especially when Satan's coming after you. Because that means God's got a word for you. God's going to encourage you. God's going to give you just a little bit more strength to make it another week. I've been there. I know. God's going to give you what you need, but you got to get in his presence and you got to do just like these four faithful friends did. They did whatever it took to get this man close to Jesus. They said, we got to get him to Jesus. And then did you get it from the story? They came up with a creative way to get him to Jesus. Somebody thought, let's just tear the roof up. Why didn't I think of that? Let's just tear the roof up. Now get the scene here. These men take this paralyzed man. They throw him on the stretcher. Are y'all with me? He throw him on the stretcher and they start running. The man's on the stretcher. He's probably thinking, thinking, hey, where are we going? He doesn't know. And then they say, well, we got to get you to this guy. So they start climbing the stairs. Now, in those days, they had these flat roofs and they had ladders built like right up against the wall because people would often go to the roof just to relax. They would take their lunch, go up to the roof to relax because it was cooler up there. So they, 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 they get the man on the stretcher. They start climbing this ladder. They get the man up on the roof. And all of a sudden, there's 40 fingers start digging through the roof, peeling back every tile. Get the scene. Jesus is sitting there teaching and the roof is and the room is packed. And then all of a sudden, the roof, the ceiling, dust starts coming down. Right in the middle of the Bible study. 
And Jesus is sitting there covered in dust. There's this hole in the ceiling. And then these four guys, Mo, Larry, Curly, and Shemp, <laughs> look down through the hole. They're looking down. Jesus is down there. He's covered in dust. And they look down, all four heads, you know that scene, all four heads looking down. Jesus looks up at them. And, and, and the guy on the stretcher, he's probably thinking, can't we just come back tomorrow? This is not good. This cannot be good. And so they lower the man right down. Hey, listen, they lower the man right down in the face of Jesus, right in front of Jesus. Can you, oh, what I wouldn't give to have a DVD of this scene. They lower him down right in the face of Jesus. The man probably looked at Jesus and probably said, hey, how you doing? (laughs) This was not my idea. I want you to know this was not my idea. But I love this story because, listen, it shows us, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It shows us faith that is creative to get people to Jesus. And I'm sure the religious people, remember the Pharisees and the doctors of the law, the scribes are there. I'm sure they're standing there and they're not excited that these people had creative faith. These men had creative faith and they desired to get them before Jesus. They don't care anything about that. They're probably thinking, man, I just got this robe out of the cleaners and now they got dust all over it. That's what they're probably thinking. They're probably thinking who's going to fix the roof, although the roof doesn't even belong to them. It's not even their roof. But that's how religious people are. But these guys, they had creative faith. Saints, we need to have creative faith. We need to do whatever we need to do to get people to Jesus. That's why we do a fall fest, by the way. That's why we go to India, by the way. That's why we have England mission trips, by the way. That's why we do anything we can, because the purpose, the point is to get people to Jesus. You know, at the fall fest every year, you guys been to the fall fest? Just by round of applause. Who's been to the fall fest? And it's wonderful. You know, there are thousands of people here. Literally, we're backing up traffic around here. And we, during the Fall Fest, at a certain point in the Fall Fest, we shut all the rides down and folks get angry. I've been waiting in this line for 45 minutes. Now y'all shut it down. Because we try to get everybody to go up to the main field because on the stage, that's where I will be preaching the gospel. It is important that everything that we do, we do it for the glory of God and we do it that people might be able to come to Jesus. Creative ways in getting people to Jesus. The religious people saw a fiasco. Jesus saw faith. Did you get that verse 20? Go ahead and peek at it. Let me see the tops of your head. Go ahead and peek at it. Jesus saw, in verse 20, Jesus saw their faith. Jesus didn't say, what are you guys doing tearing up this roof of this man's house? What do you think you're doing interrupting this Bible study? Jesus saw their faith. Now listen, look at me. How do you see faith? How do you see faith? James said, we see faith by works. James said, we see faith by works. And it's interesting that Jesus, watch this, you're going to love this. Jesus didn't see the faith of the paralytic man. Jesus saw the faith of the four faithful friends. And Jesus then looked at the paralytic and said, man, your sins are forgiven. 
He did not see the faith of the paralytic. The paralytic did not have any faith. All he had was a stretcher that he was laying on. I tell you that to tell you this. Watch this. There are some people who tell you that if you have enough faith, you can be healed. If you have enough faith, you can be healed. Brother, you need to believe God. Brother, you need to name it and claim it and blab it and grab it, and God will heal you, brother. Can I tell you something? Listen, God will heal you if God chooses to heal you. And all of that, we call that, listen, here's your word for the day. We call that the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty means that God does whatever he pleases, And God does not need your faith in order to do a particular work. Somebody say amen. Because in the church today, there's so many people putting so much emphasis and might I add burden on the people to believe God. You must believe God and you must believe God. And if you don't believe God, then God cannot act. Listen, don't flatter yourself. God's not waiting on you. That's the best I can do with God's not waiting on you. God does not need your help. If God needed something, he wouldn't ask you. Well, God's waiting on my faith. No, he isn't. Now, now, without faith, yes, it is impossible to please God. Don't get that wrong. Should we have faith? Absolutely. But we see the case here where this paralytic, he wasn't the one with the faith. When Jesus saw their faith, if you're taking notes, their refers to the friend's. When Jesus saw the friend's faith, then he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the friends, they're probably thinking, no, Jesus, not the sins, the legs, not the sins, the legs, man. We came for the legs, not the sin. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.